Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, the Packers coming off of another down-to-the-wire victory. This one 31-30 over the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore on Sunday afternoon. We'll start with what the game came down to, which was a two-point conversion. John Harbaugh for the Ravens making a call I think everybody expected him to make, which is you score that touchdown with 42 seconds left on the clock. He was going to go for the lead. He wasn't just going to kick and play for the tie and, and hope for the overtime. Packers managed to stop the two-point conversion, recover the onside kick, and they escape Baltimore with a victory. There is one scenario in my mind where I would have been in favor of them going for two. And that would have been if Matt LaFleur would have used the timeout when there was only 10 defenders on the field and allowed them to have, you know, basically no timeouts left and 42 seconds left on the clock. The Packers didn't go that direction. For them to score, still have one timeout, 42 seconds on the clock and Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, I didn't understand it. I don't think I'm going to. But as I said to some of our insider inbox readers, I guess I really don't care. This was the decision that John Harbaugh wanted to make. It was very aggressive, and this is why it's called aggression, because it ultimately didn't work out for them. You'll go into this probably in a little bit with um, what I imagine will be a big part of your, you know, what you might have missed column this week. But, you know, you're in a position where you have Tyler Hundley there as your backup quarterback. Young man has played really well, former undrafted free agent. This guy's got a lot of talent. You're putting him in a a winning time situation, though. I I guess if that was Lamar Jackson, maybe I understand it a little bit more. But which is what he had done a couple of weeks ago against Pittsburgh with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. He went for two in very similar circumstances. So a young guy in that situation, as well as he played, of course he's going for Mark Andrews. That's what he's done this entire game. So for Hollywood Brown to be open in the back of the end zone, right? As inexcusable as that seems like when you look at it on film, you understand what he's thinking with the, basically a, a half second, second and a half to make that decision. At the end of the day, the Green Bay Packers held on to this victory. They get to number 11. They clinch their third consecutive NFC North title. But for the Baltimore Ravens, this is just something they're going to have to deal with. It's the way the, the, you know, the dice sort of rolled for them. And you know, for the Packers, it, it turned out favorably. Yeah, well... On the two-point play, we saw Darnell Savage from his safety spot. As soon as Tyler Huntley started to roll to the right, Mark Andrews was lined up, was not lined up as a tight end, was lined up split out to the right with Eric Stokes on him. Darnell Savage just sold out to to get over there to Andrews. And after Andrews had had, obviously, a big day against Savage, against other guys, Savage was able to – get the slight deflection on that ball as he cut across the field. The ball then bounced off of uh, Eric Stokes' shoulder, and the pass was incomplete. As you said, Hollywood Brown was was open in the back of the end zone because of the area that Savage had vacated, but Huntley never looked at him. He was going to Andrews all the way there, and for a guy who had such a huge day, the Packers were finally able to, uh, to, to stop him when it mattered. The aggression of the, of the Baltimore Ravens, <laughs> It was it was evident right from the opening series yeah. of the game, right? I mean, it, it, the, they go 14 plays, or they had gone 13 plays. The 14th play is fourth and goal from the three-yard line. And instead of just making sure you get some points after that long drive that takes half of the first quarter, um, 
John Harbaugh decides to go for the touchdown. Devondre Campbell makes a great play, chasing Huntley on the scramble, gets him for the sack, and the Packers keep the Ravens off the board on that possession. So the way the game started, the way the game ended, John Harbaugh was was going for broke no matter what yeah. um, with the team that he had against the Aaron Rodgers-led Packers. And, yeah, he'll – I mean – you know he'll be second guessed about it for for a long time for for several decisions, but uh, um, but the Packers made for all the struggles they did have at different moments defensively. The Packers made a few key plays in this ball game. Yeah, and Harbaugh was in that seat for the last 13 years for a reason. Obviously, he's won a Super Bowl there. He's had a lot of success, but. You know, I, I understood going for it early in the game. The only reason for that is because field position, we're starting to see what the, the benefit of that can be. If you not only can just go for it and then, you know, if you don't get it, you're still pinning them back at their own five. In this case, I think it ended up being the six after the sack. And Green Bay punted the ball back. Punt really doesn't work out. The Ravens are able to get some points after that. The, the part of it that I think is getting more confusing for me is what you saw with the, the first and five situation. Uh, which would have been in the fourth quarter, I believe, where they get the false start and then they end up going for it because it becomes fourth and six or whatever on their own 28 or 29, and then Green Bay gets the ball there. Coaches are getting pretty risky with this. We saw it with Sean McVay a number of weeks ago as well. I think there's a lot to be said for putting your foot down on the gas pedal and showing that you have faith in your offense, but you also have to see the big picture with this thing too. You don't want to have a game where it's just, okay, you got six field goals, and out of, you know, potentially being able to get maybe, you know, three touchdowns out of that, you end up with 18 points. I, I understand that aspect of it, but it is this fine line that teams have to walk in. For Green Bay's perspective, four for five in the red zone, being able to punch the ball in, that really is what came down to being the biggest difference in this game. Yeah. I just want to go back one more thing and then we'll move on. But see, it's interesting. You and I have different perspectives on this because to me, the the decision for me that was harder to understand was the one at the beginning of the game, the fourth and goal from the three yard line. And I was having this discussion with my son, Robbie, whom, you know, he's uh, he's home uh, for the holidays from graduate school. So we've been talking a lot of football and he 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 fed me a great line, which I'm going to use here on the show, (laughs) because you mentioned, you know, that fourth and goal from the three and you're talking field position. Points are permanent. Field position is temporary. How does that decision by Harbaugh look if on the very first third down of Aaron Rodgers with Devontae Adams yeah. wide open, if he hits that pass, then what does that decision look right. like, right? The field position is a completely temporary thing. And early in the game, to me, and you know, maybe I'm just conservative in thought in, in this, type, this type of decision-making, I, I want to get points on the board early in the game. Now, to me, a fourth-and-one situation, fourth-and-one, I'll almost never fault a coach for wanting to go for it because your whole playbook is open. You yeah. can run, you can throw, you can do whatever you want with your quarterback. Anything more than fourth-and-one, to me, is a lot harder to convert than, than, uh, than, than and, people realize. Oh, so, yeah. Um, but I, but I totally expected as we were watching that game with the Ravens driving for what was looking like the tying touchdown, and we were talking about it as was happening, we knew like if the Ravens score, Harbaugh's going for two. Yeah, He's going totally. for the lead here. And, uh, um, and, if- and, and fortunately, the Packers were able to stop that, uh, that, that biggest play that mattered and escape with a win. Yeah, 14-play drive, that's the other side of this. As you get down 70 yards, you do want to get some points out of that. So... It's the decision every coach is going to have to make. I just feel like with having a young quarterback in there as well as Hunley played, 
there were opportunities for them to take points and they didn't do it. Yep. I think that's probably the I, aspect of it. Because you talk about fourth and one in the playbook being open. Lamar Jackson's on the field, former NFL MVP. Oh, yeah. The yeah, playbook's it, open then in those circumstances I, I, I totally well. agree. If Lamar Jackson's the quarterback, to me, the, the yeah. decisions are potentially different, too. It's, it's just a different mindset in terms, of, in terms of what you have to work with there. On the offensive side of the ball, um, this Packers offense now, Wes, despite Aaron Rodgers basically not practicing yeah. for over a month, this Packers offense has put up 30-plus points in four straight games. Um, it's pretty remarkable what's going on. Rodgers has thrust himself right into the thick of the MVP conversation. The Baltimore Ravens did everything in their power, and this is what my What You Might Have Missed video clips are focused on. They did everything in their power to take Devontae Adams out of this game with with bracket coverage, double teams, um, even a, a, a triple team in a sense on one play. If you want to go to the website and check out that clip that's in my piece. The uh, um, But the Packers responded. They ran the ball not with big numbers but with efficient numbers efficient against numbers. the top-ranked run defense in the league, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling had, um, I, in my opinion, it was Marquez's best game of the season. I know statistically I think he had more yards in Minnesota with yeah. the 70-plus-yard touchdown, but the plays, that, the plays that MVS made in this game, he was a big-time performer in a big-time game when the Packers needed him, and that's really good to see. Because it was the route tree, right? I wrote about this after the game. It's the fact that he's showing you his growth as a receiver, not just being a guy that runs 4-3-whatever and can get over the top of a defense and really make teams pay. He was making you know, these slant routes. The 11-yard touchdown pass was a thing of beauty. He's yeah. extending for the end zone. Great, great play by him. There was a huge reason why Aaron Rodgers was so excited about it. Yes, it was number 442, but you could just see you know, wanting to get that confidence back in MVS that he felt like that was a pivotal moment. And honestly, it didn't produce points. But that 24-yard catch that he had on, on kind of that post – that is one of the more beautiful pass and catches you're going to see in the National Football League. Everybody has showed the sky cam view of Rodgers' throw on that. I, I don't know how he throws that. Yeah, the one, the one right before halftime. Right before halftime. Yeah, exactly. there's, there's a triangle mm -hmm. of Baltimore say, uh, you know, defensive backs there. Yeah. And there is just a sliver of a green helmet in white uniform, and Rodgers puts it through three defenders where only his receiver can catch it. And Marquez Valdez-Scantling makes a nice play on the ball. Yeah. It was a thing of beauty. Yeah. The, I, I took a closer look at that one on film, and what I noticed, because I, I was like you, I'm like, how does Rodgers even try to throw that ball, right? Well, what happened on that play is actually that was another play where Devontae Adams is getting double teamed from the slot. The guy who was lined up across from MVS – um, on that play actually drops off to double Adams and it's a linebacker who's dropping into yeah. coverage to pick up MVS going down the seam in my mind Roger sees MVS against a linebacker I'm giving my guy a shot to make a play that was just it was it was like yeah. a split second thing like boom linebacker on 83 that's where the ball is going but the throw was absolutely perfect because the coverage by the linebacker was pretty darn good Rodgers snuck that one in there. Unfortunately, the Packers weren't able to get any points out of that drive, but it's certainly an example of where Aaron Rodgers is, the level that he is playing at right now. I know it seems like every game we see early on, first quarter, first drive, maybe second drive, we see a throw 
that a throw or two that are off here or there. I mentioned the one to Adams on the very yeah. first third down of the game, right? Of course he'd like to have that throwback. He's not practicing. It seems to just take a couple of throws, something to get him into a, a rhythm. But once he gets into that rhythm, I mean, the Packers scored four touchdowns in a span of five drives. The only one they didn't was the two-minute drive at the end of the first half in that span. When you can, when you can put up suddenly four touchdowns, through that middle stretch of a game like that, you're going to be in position to win a lot of football games. And, and Aaron Rodgers is just, he, he's at a, in, in a different world right now. Rodgers is so good at this, Mike. And I've noticed this more this year because there hasn't been the practices. He's like a great championship boxer fighter where he uses that first round and he really finds his range against the defense. And yes, he would have loved to have had that Adams you know, pass. Certainly he talked about that, that floater. He just missed it. Alan Lazard on late in the game but once he starts to diagnose what the defense is giving you the way he's able to lock in I think about that Tyler Davis pass in the scene that Matt LaFleur was talking about you know he sped up that route and sped up his throw and how he unleashed that thing based on how the the safeties were basically playing Davis yeah to be able yeah. to sneak that one in there for 22 yards there's no one like him in the NFL, and there hasn't been anyone like him in that regard and how he's able to manipulate what he's seeing defensively. I thought that was the one issue that the Ravens had. I really liked what they did defensively in this game. I understand why they defended Devontae Adams the way they defended him. I think I would have come off that a little bit, though, in the second quarter into the third quarter, or at least tried to mix it up. Because once Rodgers was pretty much dialed into the fact that, okay, we're going to have to scheme Adams up here, he was able to start getting going with Valdez Scantling and some of these other receivers. It isn't just that Aaron Rodgers is putting out otherworldly numbers right now. It's the fact that the last two weeks he's done it by passing to like eight different receivers. Yeah. The Packers offense is finding its rhythm again. And quickly, just to close on this, the running game, it's not going to wow you in terms of the statistics. That was one of the best rushing performances Green Bay's had this season because they're going up against the top-ranked run defense in the National Football League, and they ran north and south against that thing. Mm-hmm. And especially in the third quarter, I felt like that's what really allowed them to establish their rhythm, the what that Aaron Jones was able to do out there. Yeah, and I had posted a story Monday on our website if fans want to check that out. I, I took a closer look at the, at the rushing and look, not not including Rodgers' rushing yards, which was, you know, a kneel-down scramble, a broken yeah. play. You know, you take that out. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, the one jet sweep to Alan Lazard, 21 designed handoff runs. Those 21 runs produced 85 rushing yards. Well, that's that's what the Ravens have been allowing was 85 rushing yeah. yards. That's why they're, they're number one in the league against the run. But you take a closer look at that, and the Packers – got those 85 yards on 21 carries without an explosive run. They didn't yeah. have any 20, like a 20 or 30 yard run that, that skews the average. The longest of those rushes was 11 yards. And based on the Packers system of measuring the efficiency of the run, Matt LaFleur had explained to us earlier in the season, on first down, if you get four yards or more, that's considered an efficient run. On second down, if you get at least half of the yards that are needed for the first down. So if it's second and six, if you get at least three, that's that's considered an efficient run. And then on third down, it's a matter of obviously converting for the run to be considered efficient. Those 21 designed handoffs I was talking about, the Packers got an efficient run 14 out of 21 times, and they were actually at 14 out of 19 until the very last two when they were trying to, to, uh, um, to chew up some clock later in the game. So 
Um, to have that level of efficiency, even though there weren't big numbers, running the ball against the top-ranked run defense, I thought that said something about where this Packers run game is, considering all the issues on the offensive line that we've talked about all season long. I think it's a good sign going into the playoffs. Can I make one last comment, too, on the, the structure of this offense right now, where it's at? Because this is something that really stood out to me by the time the game ended. Packers have just been besieged by injuries this year on both sides of the ball, but specifically offensively. When you look at all the, the, the nicks that the offensive line has taken, the fact that you've lost Robert Tunyon, Randall Cobb has his best quarter of the season, then he goes out with the groin injury and ends up, or the core injury and ends up on IR. What really stands out to me the most is this team, kind of like a, how, how should I say this, like a, a butterfly sort of shedding its cocoon a little bit. <laughs> Every single time they've had an injury, it's hurt them. But it hasn't really all come at the same time. They lost Billy Turner. Here comes Dennis Kelly. Right. They lost, you know, Josh Myers. Well, there was Lucas Patrick. They lose Randall Cobb. Well, now Alan Lazard's back from the shoulder injury. It's very interesting to me that while they have had injuries and it's been pretty consistent, it hasn't been at one exact moment. And I feel like that's allowed this offense to kind of evolve a little bit. So, yeah, it ends up being MVS in this game. It was Lazard last week. You've seen these different offensive linemen step up. They've been able to actually develop some chemistry with each other amidst the chaos. Yeah. And, and to me, I think that's one thing that down the stretch here with the, the versatility and malleability of this offense, I think is really going to end up helping them. That's another line I'm going to steal. Chemistry amidst the chaos. I yeah. like that. That's, that's a good one. You that's got a it. Good one. A little bit of sponsor business here, Wes. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. Okay, two other topics I want to get to here before we talk about the big picture in the NFC. One is Matt LaFleur, I thought, had some very interesting words in terms of his analysis of the defensive struggles at the end of the game on Sunday with uh, the Packers. Unfortunately, after the defense got the fourth down stop in Baltimore territory, the offense was not able to get the touchdown that would have made it a three-score game. Field goal kept it a 14-point game, so just two scores. And the Ravens were able to get those two scores on their final two possessions. Matt LaFleur was he was pretty frustrated, um, you know, for a for a victory Monday press conference. He was a little grumpy, and that that's and that's okay. I when I think when he looked at the film and he saw, he commented on what he felt like the defense not being always ready at the snap, guys not guys not getting in. Sometimes it was the call not getting in in time. Sometimes it was guys just not showing the urgency, playing with. Uh, playing with the urgency and aggressiveness that he was hoping for in some of those situations, particularly third down, particularly the fourth down conversion uh, on the pass to Mark Andrews. Uh, you know, a fourth down stop there in that situation would have essentially sealed the ball game. Um, Packers are, for, for as, as much as this defense, they made three key plays in this game, the fourth and goal stop early on, the fourth down stop in Baltimore territory in the fourth quarter, and then the two-point conversion stop. Joe Barry's got uh, Joe Barry's got some work to do here with his guys because, on balance, this was not a performance that they would be happy with. No, it was a tough one, especially that second half. You know, one of the things to kind of keep an eye on too is they played more personnel packages in this game than they probably have all season. They they deployed all of them. They had base, penny, nickel, and they played dime quite a bit. I think Kevin King took like 13 snaps of dime. That's 
Packers typically haven't really played that much. They've stayed a lot in their nickel packages throughout yeah, the course of the season. Yeah, and King kind of replacing Henry Black, Henry Black. As, the, as, the di- as the sixth defensive back, going with an extra corner as opposed to an extra safety, just yeah. to throw that out there. You know, the, the one thing I thought, and this is what they're going to have to keep an eye on because they're going to end up, you, you could see, you know, Kyler Murray again here. You, you could end up seeing Taysom Hill. Certainly we know what happened with, with Taylor Heineke when the Packers played Washington. These scrambling quarterbacks, man, Green Bay did a really good job against them during the first half of the season. The last two games against, obviously, now Hundley and then before that with Justin Fields, those guys being able to get outside the pocket and creating plays. Yeah, as you said, the Packers, they, they seem to, after the Heineke game against Washington, the Packers really seem to buckle down yeah. against Russell Wilson, against Kyler Murray, against Patrick Mahomes to a certain extent in Kansas City. But then now that now that containing the running quarterback has has gotten away from them a little. Yeah, bit. and it's really about being disciplined and staying within yourself because it, the problem is, is if you go speed to power and you try to you know get these tackles off the edges, well now you're opening up the entire canvas for the quarterback to to be able to step up and make a play. That's what Hundley did, and that was obviously the big offensive adjustment for Baltimore in the second half. Uh, you know, overall, I actually thought they did a pretty decent job in terms of eliminating the explosive plays. When they hit them, they hit them. But for the most part, you know, you look at Hollywood Brown had 10 catches for 43 yards. Yeah, I mean, the explosive plays were Mark Andrews. And yeah, it was the, Andrews. The first one very early in the game, a 40-plus yarder. Otherwise, it was, especially on those last two drives, it was essentially dink and dunk and then Huntley with scrambling. Huntley had 73 rushing yards in the game, but 45 of the 73 were on the last two drives. Yep. He'd only run for 28 yards yeah. until the fourth quarter. So. The, they, they, they were doing the job, and then they weren't. Yeah, they just had to figure out the adjustment there. So uh, now you look at the next upcoming games here, You know, depending on what they end up seeing, if it ends up being Nick Mullins or if you, they are able to get um, you know, uh, May, uh, Baker Mayfield back on Saturday. Uh, obviously, Kirk Cousins, we know what the game is kind of there. And then certainly, you know, Jared Goff. So, I mean, they're not going to be really tested in terms of the feet here these next few weeks. But right. It's something you have to keep in the back of your mind. Green Bay's defense, I know there was a lot of people in the inbox already asking about, hey, is this a concern that they've given up this many points? I'm not concerned, mostly because they didn't have Kenny Clark in this thing. They still had to find themselves defensively with the way they've had to change some stuff in the secondary. I think the bigger thing is is just understanding what has kind of gone against them here in some of these situational type games the last few weeks and making those corrections here as you get ready for the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. I felt I felt the way that game was going, if they had made Tyler Huntley have to pass the ball from the pocket on those last two drives, I don't think he can drive the Ravens twice yeah. down the field for touchdowns. I think the fact that not only could he scramble to run, but get out of the pocket and, and have the clear view yeah. of things and be able to make throws on the run, make throws near the boundary. That was the kind of that was the kind of thing that made things a lot easier on the Ravens, and I think that's what Matt LaFleur just, was upset about. You can't rush him like every other quarterback. No, you because can't. the problem is even if you beat your man uh, you know, we saw it with, like with Tipa's spin move. I mean, even if you get past him, Hunley's so elusive, much like Jackson would have been. These guys, even if you get up in their face, it doesn't mean you're sacking them. So th- that's the one thing Green Bay's going to have to keep in mind and certainly have to figure out, you know, the 10 the man on the field deals. You know, they got they got some stuff to clean up here. But, yeah. but certainly, as we always say, and as Adrian Amos has talked about a couple times the past few weeks, it's easier to learn from these things in a win than, you know, having a loss. Yeah, no question about it. Another thing I want to ask you too, okay, Aaron Rodgers is at 442, right? Yep. He's tied Brett Favre. Congratulations to Rodgers. Tying Favre for the most touchdown passes in Packers history. No small feat. 
by any stretch of the imagination who's getting 443, yeah, assuming Bakhtiari. it's coming on Saturday against the Browns. David Bakhtiari, David Bakhtiari. tackle eligible play yep. with Bakhtiari playing his first game of the season, Nigel's perhaps. Nigel's playing really that's, well at left tackle. The one. Okay. Give the big draft a big uh, tight end package. Uh, I'll tell you what, I thought for two seconds on that game on Saturday or on Sunday, I was like, you know, if Mercedes Lewis can break another tackle it here. Sure, it sure looked like he was, was going to get that it. That would have been I something. I mean, holy cow. Yeah. Um, uh, you know what? Let's uh, let's just – I'm, I'm going to play the odds here. I'll go with Devontae Adams. As much as I want to say Lewis, yeah. I, I just feel like maybe Devontae's up for a big play. Yeah. This was this is kind of funny because I asked you this when we were watching the game. We were talking, okay, is it going to be Adams? Is it going to be Lewis? Is it going to be Lazard, MVS? What happens if 443 is Juwan Winfrey? That'd be his first NFL touchdown, right? So then, like, who gets the who gets the? I mean, if I'm Juwan Winfrey and Aaron Rodgers is going to keep my first touchdown pass forever as the record breaker, I think I'd be okay with that. I think so. You know, but it's just I just throw it out there because it's, it's it could happen. I I don't put it past I don't put it past anybody getting number four forty three because Rodgers is gonna Rodgers is gonna throw to whoever's open. I. Really respect Rodgers for giving Devontae number 200. Yeah. Um, I really respect James Jones for giving some lucky fan in row 78, 100. <laughs> at the Georgia Dome. At the yeah. Georgia Dome. Uh, I, I would, I do, I think that ball has to go to Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yeah. It, it Maybe absolutely give him does. a lace I, I mean, off of it. I'm saying, I'm saying that kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah. You know, what if it's, what if it's Juwan Winfrey? But I do think, I mean, if I, if I'm, if I'm Winfrey and my touch, my first NFL touchdown is the record breaker and it's on Aaron Rodgers' mantle. For the rest of time. That's not bad. That, that's that's all right. That's you a nice could, consolation. That. All right, quickly before we go, um, the Packers are eleven and three, and lo and behold, the Arizona Cardinals and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost to fall to ten and four. They are in a tie now with the for the second best record in the NFC with the Dallas Cowboys. Suddenly, the Cowboys are the team. That is the most dangerous to the Packers in terms of potentially stealing that uh, number one seed because the Cowboys would have the tiebreaker on the Packers if they would manage to even up their record with Green Bay because Dallas has only lost one game to an NFC opponent. That was actually in week one against yeah. uh, against Tampa Bay. So um, three teams at 10-4. and four. The Rams going for 10-4 and four tonight uh, in their rescheduled game against Seattle. The Packers still very much in control of things, but the one team that they don't have a tie, don't have the tiebreaker on would be the Dallas Cowboys. And give that a couple weeks. Uh, n- not because I'm saying, oh, the, the Dallas is going to trip and fall here, but Dallas has some tough matchups. Oh, yeah, they've got, they've got two division games against Washington and Philadelphia sandwiched around a game with Arizona, an Arizona team that will be looking to right the ship heading into the postseason. And Arizona's going to be playing at home. I mean, they're going to want to – that's a huge game for them. That's about yeah. as big as any of these matchups are going to get down the stretch in terms of buys, in terms of seeding. That's going to be a critical one. Honestly, Mike, uh, the biggest thing was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers kind of falling on their face. Uh, stunning, you, we talked about it. Stunning final score. Not so, not so much the result. I mean, the the Saint the Saints beat them earlier yep. in the season. I'm surprised the Saints won the game, but I'm more surprised that the final score was nine to zero. It wasn't pretty, and then they lose Chris Godwin here. Uh, Antonio Brown's going to be coming back for them. But I'll tell you what, Mike. Uh, this schedule lined up really favorably for Tampa Bay. They're, they're getting yep, Carolina. We, we had talked about it. I, yeah. I didn't expect I didn't expect the Buccaneers to lose again. 
Carolina, two of the last three weeks with the Jets sandwiched in between, that's favorable. So for Green Bay to actually be able to get out one game ahead of them right now I think is really key. We'll see how all this shuffles out, but ultimately I, I have to imagine if you're down in the locker room with Matt LaFleur, the message is we control this. We run the North, now let's run the conference. And if you can get this thing back, you can get that number one seed again, Mike. I keep saying it time and time again. You're not going to have an, an, an unseasonably warm day in the NFC Championship game again. You're not going to be playing in front of 9,000 fans again. Right. If you can win out and get two home games at Lambeau Field in the month of January, I really do like the way that this lines up for Green Bay. Yeah, absolutely. It's all out there. It's all out there in front of the Packers. It's there for the taking. They're in control, so, uh, so stay in control and yep. take care of business. Christmas is almost here, folks. Only a few more days to shop for holiday gifts, but a great idea for you would be team historian Cliff Crystal's book, The Greatest Story in Sports. It's now available at the Packers Pro Shop. It's a four-volume hardcover book set that tells the true, complete story of the Packers' first century from humble beginnings to heartbreaks and triumphs. Buy your copy online or in-store today. The Greatest Story in Sports is a, is a great headline. It's one of big, you know, Cliff's big lines. I really wish it would have been called the Cliff Crystal Manifesto. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I really do. But I, I'm thankful to Cliff. He actually signed my book uh, yesterday. Um, I, I, yeah, just an incredible, incredible project. I was thumbing through it, getting a chance to read just a little bit of it. I'll probably get to dive into it after the season ends. But they did a great job with the pictures, the layout, the info boxes. It's an amazing production. Yeah, so no, qu check no it out. question about it. With that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.